bitch bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And uh, welcome back, you guys. I Yay. missed you. It's been, it, was, it was a long week without you. A lot of separation anxiety. <laughs> this is true. I feel like we're not even like connecting on our Facebook Messenger group as much this week. That's because you got a nine to five. I now. was going to say that. <laughs> fair. <laughs> very, very fair. See how hard it is to keep up? I'm mm-hmm. telling yeah. you. Yo. I get it now. <laughs> I do. I mean, I knew you got it, but yeah. you, you kind of forget when you have, you're running your own schedule. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You totally forget. But yeah. now that I have a nine to five, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm so behind. I just keep my Facebook open and have that chat open and I check it every so often. Yeah. I wonder about you. Because you are always on. Okay. I'm always on. You are on. And when I'm not, you shouldn't be worried. Well, yeah, because I, I'm just like, but how did she get to this Twitter already? Like... <laughs> I literally have the Twitter open on my computer. Yeah, because I, I have two screens and one is just Twitter always. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. On one of your dual screens is just Twitter? Yeah. Okay, this and is thus I, Unless I need to use the dual screen. This is For excellent. like editing or whatever. I hope no one comes for you for like time theft or some shit. <laughs> Uh, what can they say as long as she's pumping out product (laughs) she that's what they care they care if you're pumping out product yeah they should that's what they should care about yeah 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 i agree i agree lazy ass managers who just care about you know do you look like you're working well i hate that the work because what does looking like you're working look like it looks like butts and seats it's the same people yeah who are against flex time and like Mm -hmm. work from home and other arrangements because they have no sense of trust and like they right. don't know how to properly oversee work and manage. Yeah. There seems to be, it's funny you should mention that because I was talking to, about um, the lack of trust that management has in their employees. And when I say management, I'm not relegating this to a specific sector, just in. Oh, yeah, I think it's a know? common because it's, it's a, a common lot thing. in a lot of workplaces, people don't get management training either. Yeah. So they do, they don't really know what to do except to, you know kind of do this old version of what supervision is which is not really proper management skills it's policing yeah hmm. well uh, any anything exciting you guys want to share well at work oh, we no. got called on for we no 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 let me let me rephrase our group was reported on for making for being too loud what what is a common characteristic of you? <gasps> We're all women of color. Mm. I knew it. Mm. <laughs> so Buddy decides to call the manager. That's wild. Cool. And so I looked at the poor the poor person who was like Do people not know that they're cliches. Like that's funny to yeah, me. I never like, want to be a cliche. Like, Shoot me, like holy know? shit, like you couldn't just like we're right next to you. You couldn't just look over the the like come over and just say, "Hey guys, like I I know you guys are enjoying yourself. It's great to hear, but right now we're just doing something, you know, that requires a little bit more concentration. Mm-hmm. Can you just keep it down for a bit? You know, we love that you're here, but just, you know, we've got some heads down work. We to just do. got some work to do. No, are you that 
fucking fragile that you can't do that, that you can't talk to women of color and instead treat us like we're fucking criminals. So the person who came down and and decided to deliver, I felt so sorry for this person because my look was, <laughs> this person kept oh looking God. at me was, and, and I knew my look was just poison, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. after a while, I just said, so why couldn't this person walk over and and tell us that Mm. and he said well i guess things that you know the way these things work has changed i said no adulting is still in vogue (laughs) like you can't be a fucking adult (laughs) and this is this whole you see all those hashtags laughing while black Mm -hmm. uh riding Mm -hmm. while black starbucks all of this while black you know having a fucking barbecue while Barbecue Becky, you know, all of these, all of these hashtags are part of this sort of, of, of way of performance that white people do to, to quote unquote, get you in trouble with authorities. And Mm -hmm. I'm fucking angry about it, to be honest, because it leads to a situation where we become criminalized Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, uh, you take no responsibility. The person who snitches on you is anonymous, and you don't. You're put in a position where you're consistently on the defensive, and it's this kind of attitude that leads to the conflicts that we see in general, gentrification conflicts, and all of these conflicts. Is that kind of way of behaving? And you know what? I'm just not here for it. And by the way, I'm just going to give everybody a little bit of a of a of of a warning. I'm not here for centrist white people this week. So this um, week and last week, I agree. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to I'm just going That's to your give disclaimer that for disclaimer. You. Okay. Um, speaking of centrist white people oh, no. and white people, I just want to acknowledge that. Today is St. Patrick's Day, oh, no. and uh, we should celebrate this wonderful holiday for white people. Oh, are we going to talk about the Irish slaves? Listen, I don't understand St. Patrick's Day. I, I don't understand have. this Irish slaves bullshit. But anyway, carry on. I just don't understand St. Patrick's Day. Like, why are we celebrating this random day when we don't give any other ethnic group the same cachet? And why are we denigrating them with just wanton drunken debauchery too like this is the other thing apparently you know what else was trending because i'm on taylor tweets now (laughs) um it was like ezra avenue in waterloo or something like that they had like a twenty thousand person like is that on your twitter right now like they had some type of twenty thousand person party and there was all this unrest okay yeah Hmm. that was trending fun because um, of St. Patrick's Day. And I believe all those people are going to survive to the next day because they're white. Hmm. Um, Aaron Ryan, who is a co-host of one of the Crooked Media podcasts, tweeted today, Happy St. Patrick's Day, the annual celebration of sighing and telling people that, no, I'm actually mostly Scandinavian. To which I replied, Happy St. Patrick's Day, the annual celebration of me, a biracial woman, telling people that, yes, even though I am half Chinese, I'm also part Irish. Because a number of times that like people are like, you're Irish? <laughs> Just like an absolute disbelief. I mean, this is news to me, but like... Because I, the Irish I part. I wouldn't have asked you that. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but like they're like you're yeah. Irish. Yeah. I thought you were Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. I'm both. Yeah. Shocker. Cool. And they're yeah. just like I don't. How does that work though? Yeah. I, mm. Why is this so <laughs> confusing to people? I don't understand. Oh, well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for your rent and receipts, your rant and receipts, though. All right. So let's get into it. Uh, this week in feminism, we're starting off with just a really kind of awful story. Um, so at least 50 people were killed and a further 50 people injured uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand, after a gunman opened fire at two mosques with a live stream of the horrific massacre being broadcast on the internet via a camera on one of the gunman's helmets. So, great use of a GoPro. The main shooter was identified by Australian police as Breton Terrett, a white 28-year-old Australian-born man who uploaded a manifesto explaining his intentions to his Twitter account before the shooting. The self-described racist, which... I mean, never happens, who allegedly carried out the massacre, flashed a white power sign during his first court appearance. Photos from the accused's first court appearance used his shackled hands, showed him using his shackled hands to make an okay symbol that has been appropriated by white supremacists and is also used by right wing Internet trolls. He's charged with one count of murder in connection with the back to back mass shootings. But authorities said more charges will be coming. His court-appointed attorney did not apply for bail, and he will be jailed until his next court appearance on April 5th. Police Commissioner Mike Bush said three other people had been taken into custody, including one woman. One of those people was found armed at the scene, but didn't appear to have had anything to do with the killings. People are still working. Police are still working to understand what the what the involvement of the other two people were, who were also armed uh, in the shootings. New Zealand Prime Minister, who we spoke about um, in one of our very first podcasts, yep. Jacinta Ardern, has said that those in custody were not on any security watch lists. Tarrant, the shooter or the kind of leader of the, the massacre, did not have a criminal record in New Zealand or Australia before he turned Friday's prayers uh, at, the, at the mosques into a bloodbath and was, quote, not known to authorities in connection with far-right violence. Um, that was, she said that during a press conference on Saturday morning. She is demanding an urgent review into why the attacks weren't prevented mm-hmm. and why New Zealand's security service didn't see the signs. Mm-hmm. So um, this is obviously a horrific attack and we, you know, our thoughts and are with you know everyone who was affected, everyone in New Zealand, and the, all of our Muslim friends here in Ottawa and in Canada. What were some of the things you guys saw on Twitter, kind of in the when you woke up? I guess on Friday. Once I heard that there were there was a you know shootings at a mosque, I knew it was white supremacy. Sure. Like right after the um, mosque uh, attacks in Quebec City, I remember. I remember tweeting, okay, so, actually before those, I remember tweeting, okay, so, are we ready to talk about white kids being um, radicalized radicalized now? And I will say that, to me, this is, it, it was not a shock, but it was a shock. Like, you kind of can see it coming and happening because, you know, there was Charleston, there was... There was the Tree of Life, the 
um, synagogue yeah. shootings. Yeah. Is it true? Uh, yeah. And uh, at the, on the same day, two black people were killed in Kroger. You had um, Charleston. You had some other plus our Quebec Moss shooting. And, you know, to me, it just solidified everything. It was that I was thinking about white supremacy and its global nature always. And that is, is that it is a borderless um, movement, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the shooters, um, you know, manifesto or whatever it was that he is sort of put together with. And, and even the fact that, you know, Alexandre Bissonnette's words were ri- like carved or written into mm-hmm. his, like his um, weapons um, that the guns that he used uh, in the massacre just this past week like that's very telling and and in terms of I mean I don't think we needed it spelled out for us but apparently law enforcement does and it's like you couldn't ask for a better like here it is in black and white unfortunately like this is you're right like a global um, you know terrorist movement essentially um, of white supremacy and and there's a playbook Mm -hmm. and we've we've all sort of known what that playbook was um, except for the people who have any power to to you know try to prevent these things from happening, yeah. And Prime Minister Ardern um, specifically referenced it right away as being terrorism. Oh, did, for sure. Which I, I thought I, I, I did. That was probably the only thing that did surprise me. I thought that was kind of refreshing because we ne- we didn't get obviously we did not get that designation um, assigned to the Quebec mosque shooting, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that wasn't one of the things that the, that was. Um, part of the charges and uh, or convictions that Bissonnette got. And now he's also appealing his sentence. So there's also that sort of And clouding, his parents are excusing clouding. him. Yeah, too. Saying it's cruel and unusual punishment for him to receive, uh, you know, the, the life sentence or whatever it was which that he got. Which is crazy. Which, yeah, and I he think he still gets parole people. within like 20 years or something like it's, that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. wild. But like, I mean, it is it was disappointing. I know a lot of people in Canada and a lot of, the you know, the Muslim community was very disappointed that that w- it wasn't. Um, labeled as as terrorism when that is um, you know a a term that is uh, has been used as a weapon against racialized people Um, sometimes I mean it's it's sometimes a very legitimate label um, but it's been you know socially colloquially culturally it's been like used um, as a as a way to to um, you know perpetuate Islamophobia keep people out by by labeling them as terrorists and then you know, it seems to only apply to brown and black people. It never applies to, to white folks. So that the hypocrisy of that is like really stark. I think. I think that um, we really need to pay attention to the way um, the prime minister of New Zealand, Prime Minister Arden, has <sighs> has positioned and has has spoken about this incident. And it, you're right. It's fucking refreshing. It is refreshing to hear her call out terrorism. It is refreshing that the state has pledged to pay for the funerals of these mm-hmm. victims. Mm-hmm. I did see that, that this morning. That is, is beautiful, yeah. beautiful because yeah. what it does is it it lets people know it's a signal to the rest of the country and the rest of the world mm-hmm. that we are mourning as a community. Yeah, this is a collective. This is on. not about yeah. you. This is not about us. This is about an element that has come into our community or is 
is in I mean, present not, in our community. It's targeting a particular community, but we're no, like we're all we're all collectively not going to stand for it. We're all collectively affected by it, and what I saw that and can I can I just break and say that her press conference was accessible as fuck because there was there was somebody who was sign you know signing Mm -hmm. the entire speech and I remember thinking that's one thing I tweeted by the way Hmm. and I remember thinking I used to see this in Canada as a child and somehow that has gone out the window. No. I don't see it anymore. It happens in the States at conferences. I've been to conferences. It happens at conferences here. And it happens at some, I know the NDP conventions. No government Always have signing. No, when I went to the um, gender, um, the GBA plus uh, summit with Maria Munson, mm. there was uh, like 99% sure there was a, a, a someone signing mm-hmm. in the main hall at least, but you don't see it on uh, in, like any press yeah. conference. And, right. and then of course, you know, anyone switched, I just, switches to speaking in I like just, Punjabi and then they have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I just, I just thought, That's an aside. <laughs> I just thought that, that she showed real leadership. Yeah. In terms of how she responded, how she spoke, what she spoke about, what she said. And it was um, instructive <laughs> to all of our, all Western leaders, all leaders, period. I'm not mm-hmm. going to restrict it to Western leaders. So, hey, that's something I didn't put in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Erica, you retweeted something yesterday from Harry Kondabalu, who's a, a comedian. And... Uh, you know, in this discussion of white supremacy, um, he tweeted that white supremacy, white supremacist terrorism is not seen as terrorism because it does not affect the white power structure or question its power. I think that was one of the most poignant um, tweets that I've seen. It on really this. captures the it whole. captures mm-hmm. everything, which just goes to show that you can capture something in. 280 characters <laughs> that wasn't even 280 characters yeah, right less than that he's really good he's really good yeah um the white power structure has been um dragging their feet on white supremacy and whenever these things happen they they project this they tell us that it's a lone wolf who did it and there there isn't some type of terrorist network happening which there is yeah right. well it's because they're so, not the ones being terrorized like right. the terror is to a, a particular community that the majority see as already being outside of their world but think about the impl- implications of oh that. no no i know yeah, but i think like, that's what it comes down to is that it's not it's not a terrorism of the whole or at least for white white people who you know that's who law enforcement is thinking of protecting that's yeah. who you know leader like the political leadership is thinking of protecting is the yeah and i think that you know law enforcement typically and politicians view terrorism as like a coordinated effort, you know, kind of on the dark web or whatever social media channels. Whereas it seems as though these events are done in isolation, but with the same kind of open though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like they all have manifestos. They all have some sort of like thing that they've written or video that they've left. And they've, you like the and that is like the flag to pass to the mm-hmm. or the baton to pass to the mm-hmm. next person. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. like they're talking on the internet. They're all like they're like here's what I have to say, and then I'm gonna like do my thing and yeah. leave it to you. 
Yeah, and um, you know, it's it's there's no accident that um, Anders Breivik, the white supremacist in Norway, ha- who killed all, seventy-two people, um, was one of sort of their leaders, so to speak. I mean, I think what's happening is that even if you commit the atrocity on their own, even if they do that, they are doing it as part of a network, as part of a movement that's that's that is white supremacist. And what I see is that number one, um Law enforcement in at least Canada and the U.S., I'm not sure about Britain, but don't take this seriously. Mm-hmm. They just don't. They don't. They think, you know, when when um, I think it was the, uh, the the military service, like there was this expose about a couple of people who were in reserves, a couple of males or few males who were distributing white supremacist material and so on and so forth. The Canadian, the head of the Canadian Armed Forces kind of came out and said, oh, this is just, it's just a, 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 um, a problem that is contained, basically. And with zero evidence to that fact, by the way. And it is this rush to believe that it's one person or if it's more than one person, it's just a, a ragtag um, group of people who don't really matter. They fucking matter. And the idea that I will say that Canadian um, services like law enforcement services have not done their job in terms of um, in terms of monitoring these people. Uh, I believe even the uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand was saying that these guys weren't even known mm-hmm. to terrorist, um, anti-terrorist law enforcement agencies. These, like, we have the five eyes. Isn't, isn't like, anti-terrorism strategy their, their yeah. thing? Their mission? Isn't that their mission? And if it is then how the hell could they have missed somebody who probably posts on Facebook, probably posts on Twitter, all of these things that are uh, racist, they're white nationalists, and how can you not know? You know how to uh, monitor indigenous activists, Mm -hmm. you know how Mm -hmm. to monitor Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. but you don't know how to monitor white supremacy? You know, that is by design. I think, yeah, totally, I totally, think totally. part of it and the flaw in that is that they have a very prescriptive list of like actions like, oh, they protest or they go and do these things and they show up to politicians offices and, you know, they're using X hashtags or blah, blah, blah. And those are the things that they're monitoring and they're not thinking outside the box. There's not a lot of room for critical thinking and being like, oh, like huh, we're seeing this pattern, but we're not going to like draw any sort of conclusions from it. 
I don't know if that's excusable. I mean, the idea that all protests are monitored equally is untrue because clearly the yellow vest protest was not monitored in the same way or the same degree of scrutiny. Or if it has, I'd be very surprised um, in the way that, you know, other types of protests, including especially indigenous and black protesters, um, are policed, um, surveilled, uh, their information shared with the uh, like with other um, intelligence agencies in our, you know, allied whatever countries in the five eyes or whatever the fuck it's called. And like, I mean, it that you're right. It's absolutely Erica. It's absolutely by design that that's that that that's where our energies go. And I think anyone who thinks that there is sort of this true public safety and or that public safety is some sort of somehow objectively ascertained um, is that you're deluding yourself if you think that because it's not if the victims were white people it would be a different story yeah and at the end of the day that is structural racism or that if, was structural or if the victims were means. uh you know government assets right or infrast- right. government infra or like na- national infrastructure mm-hmm. right or whatever but it's places of worship for minority religions that you know the that Whatever. are being that, monitored yeah, by the that way. are yeah that are in the first place being monitored yeah. for links to terrorist activity yeah. so called yeah and you know we know what that is meant for a lot of people who have been wrongfully detained and wrongfully deported and who have been Mayhar j- yeah. is who comes to bind yeah. yeah yeah and there there are others right and and you know no one talks about what that 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 well you know, where's the conversation about the cruel and unusual treatment of, of those individuals? Um, I mean, Maharaj is obviously the example where he ultimately in the end got much needed justice. But there are a lot of other people who are on those lists who don't who've get never, justice. Who've, who've not gotten that. And you don't see anyone rallying um, to uh, to speak for them. And, and that is a form of state terrorism that it happens uh, to in with it, like from the state towards the Muslim community every day. That is exactly state terrorism. And we need to get out of this view that, oh, well, we don't mean to. It doesn't matter. The results are still the same. And what basically law enforcement in in Canada has told us is that your lives are not worth protecting for us. That is exactly what they're saying. When they have the discrepancy in terms of how they approach these things, and it ends up where people get killed who are brown and bl- brown and black people who are religious minorities and racial minorities what the system has set up is that we are not going to pay as much attention we're not going to pay any attention or very little attention to white supremacy where the victims are of color or of racial minorities that we don't like in the first place So following the attack on Friday, world leaders expressed their condolences and condemnation. um, And they really ran the whole spectrum. So, of course, Prime Minister Trudeau said something nice. Uh, And then we've got... He was fine. He used the right words. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, same thing. Um, You know, global leaders, blah, blah, blah. So... Then we get into Donald Trump. And after tweeting out his requisite condolences, which were presumably <laughs> written by someone else, 
Uh, he told reporters in the Oval Office that, quote, he does not regard white nationalism as a rising global threat in the aftermath of the mosque terror attacks. Um, I'm not surprised. Mm, nope. No surprise there. Because he's a white. He's a white supremacist. Yeah. So would you expect? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andrew Scheer, leader of Canada's conservative party. He's looking a little white supremacy, too. He denounced Friday's horrific attack. Um, as an attack on freedom while initially failing to mention uh, that Muslims were the victims of a terrorist attack. He also didn't use the word mosque. He just used freedom. Um, He said, quote, freedom has come under attack in New Zealand as peaceful worshipers are targeted in a despicable act of violence. All people must be able to practice their faith freely and without fear. There are no words strong enough to condemn this kind of vile hatred. I am praying for peace for the families of those lost and recovery for those injured. End quote. He posted the same message on his Facebook page. But after receiving some criticism, including from um, some former staffers of Stephen Harper, the former Canadian Conservative Prime Minister, he issued a new statement that uh, said the Conservative Party was grieving with the Muslim community. And um, finally... Uh, Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada, the Canada's far-right political Which party. Which people? That's what I want to know. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he... It's the of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he oh, no. s- still has not denounced the attack in Christchurch. And actually, um, when re- upon receiving much criticism, actually said... It's my own personal policy to not comment on things that don't happen in Canada, in which case Twitter pulled up all the receipts. No. Found many receipts. Many. Many receipts. And uh, a lot of condolences to many a past event outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Maxime Bernier is a racist. I I don't think that this is, you know, a secret. Also, well, I mean, he thinks we're dumb. I, I don't care for that. He thinks we're he so thinks dumb, we're but we so don't know how dumb. to search the internet. <laughs> uh, Just continue to say nothing. What a fucking moron. Well, the whole yeah, I, I'm sure he's fundraising <laughs> off this. I'm sure in some oh. sort of way he's fundraising off of all of it. As an aside, I always wonder if I should subscribe to everyone's like, you know, media feeds and like email lists because I want to see what they're fundraising oh, what they off do of. Say. It is oh, interesting yeah. to do but that. But I yeah. don't want you don't all want the emails. To see them, you know what? Yeah. I should start a separate email account for you this. You know what's good? Press Progress does track that stuff and there's something newsworthy, though, like noteworthy, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. write about it. Yeah. Um, which I like, but because I do think you you find some very interesting, like it, it really gives you like the, the lens that they're using and the, the language and the, who they're targeting is, is always fascinating, but I would not want to be exposed to that on the daily. Yeah. So let's talk about Andrew Shear. All right. So Andrew Shear, he, uh, you know, I will say good for her, his communication team for getting their shit together. Um, bad for them for putting themselves in that place in the first place. Let's talk about his communication team, shall we? Sure. Okay. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you got, Erica? I know you've got feelings. So Andrew <laughs> Shear's campaign director is a man by the name of Hamish Marshall. Oh, and who's Hamish Marshall? He co-founded the alt-right site, The Rebel, huh. with Ezra, Ezra Levant. Oh, right. And who used to work at The Rebel? <gasps> Faith Goldie. Oh, and who's who's she? 
she's the one she's the white nationalist that andrew Shear decided to share share stage with at the yellow vest canada protest yeah she's also the quote-unquote journalist who got fired from the rebel for going on a literal nazi podcast so that's cool yeah and she also ran for mayor of toronto yeah I okay to forget that part I know, but <laughs> it's I'm part just, of the strategy. Well, and she garnered, you know, eight percent yeah, of the vote. Yeah, not an eight. Yeah, eight percent of Torontonians are fucking white supremacists. Yes. Like, like avowed white supremacists. We're not mm-hmm. talking about the the supporters, which is, I'm sure, at least twenty percent. Mm-hmm. I would say. Um, and so this is Andrew Shear's senior senior staff. Georgian or Jorgan Burke, the outreach director. I don't even care to get her name right. Um, so she's a Trump supporter and helped to found an anti-Islam group and continues to, to, to participate in that group online. And Stephen Taylor, mm-hmm. his digital director, mm-hmm. linked to the alt-right subreddit i think it's oh, called cool. yes girl like reddit is good or sh- really shitty um i'm gonna get the oh meta canada, canada is the name of the subreddit which is basically a white supremacist subreddit and l- that's so he created Stephen Taylor also created a Harper pack to get Harper reelected and quote stick it to unions unquote. So there's some people who have done some really really good work. This is by leadnow.ca is where I got this information anti hate anti or anti hate network.ca. I can't remember which one. But um, Anti-Hate Canada has done some good work, as well as Yellow Vests Exposed. And you can follow, too, I don't know if you saw um, on Twitter, Bashir Muhammad had yes. a, a thread in a, and um, a post on his blog, like, going in-depth about the research he had done on Stephen Taylor's, like, online activity, which, um, connecting him and, and specifically, like, what he has said in those in those threads and what some of his maybe alt accounts were saying and things like that. That's right. And, you know, any reporter worth their salt would have, I remember there was a big, um, how alt right has, has, has somehow consumed Andrew Shearer or something as though he didn't court them. He courts them. Right. Yeah. So let's get I past mean, this bullshit. There's that a little somehow... bit of both. They're they're definitely in a like symbiotic relationship. It's kind of like the Bannon Trump thing. It's like, I mean, I think to a larger extent, Bannon did, you know, creep on in on Trump. But it's like Trump was already saying some white nationalist. But it's stuff the bursers that well put them together, that. right? Yeah, for sure. But even before that, Trump yeah. was already on that like right, trajectory. Right, 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 but people right. like to say, you know, Bannon is like the sole mastermind. It's like, well, he perfected the craft. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like Trump has been a racist through and through since from the get. So it's not. He magnified it. Yeah. I also want to point out that there are notable Canadian institutions that love to put these people on panels and oh, no. to spread their message mm. to spread the message of white supremacy Ooh, like who and where oh uh i remember a certain monk debates oh, oh right yeah 
I, yeah. And U of T had a panel with Jordan Peterson on it, who is another alt-right favorite. And they need to be taken to fucking task, okay? University of Toronto, don't talk to me about, oh, well, these are just different ideas. White supremacy is not a fucking idea. It is an emotional reaction where it oscillates between white fear and white anger at people who don't look like them and who are browner and minority in status. So don't tell me that this is somehow a different idea. It's not a fucking idea. It's really Mm -hmm. not. Yeah. So um, it's an ideology for sure. And I think like the, the fact that they're choosing these people like there's a deliberate choice being made by the conservative party and they of course and i think they they have a read of where this election is going and the sentiments in canada across canada and i think that should scare all of us because it means that their read and like their whatever their polling their like country is that it's going right it's going very right are very open to these sorts of like racist sentiments and that that's the way to win the election otherwise they would i i i mean arguably you know they may pursue another strategy and some of us may think that that strategy would be more appropriate but this is the winning strategy or it's the Mm -hmm. easiest strategy to win on apparently like that so it seems and when you have people on the payroll like we just mentioned then of course you're going see because i see they saw the way people were going first and then got the personnel to fulfill that strategy and that is where they have bought into the strategy so they deserve of course and they deserve all of the hate that they get from this because you cannot actively court a strategy and then be surprised when these elements glam on to what you are putting out there. And second of all, I feel as people are like, oh, well, how can they uh, how can they control who supports them with their rhetoric? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now, to me, the conservative party is fucking racist. Absolutely. And And don't at me. And the normalization of Jordan Peterson needs to fucking stop. Well, who was who was (laughs) instrumental in that? Was it not the Canadian institutional community that yeah. was instrumental in spreading Jordan Peterson's lies under, and poison the thing is, in this world? It, it happens because it's under the guise of academic debate because he's this like, you know, he's an academic and therefore he's quote unquote smart and therefore he quote unquote knows what he's talking about, which is absolute bullshit. He is a fucking misogynist. He's tenured. Racist. Yeah. And he's teaching people all the time. He was, so he was um, on Twitter. Someone posted a photo of him from his speaking tour in New Zealand from the photo was taken or the event was on February 19th. So not even a month ago, this is like three weeks mm-hmm. ago. And it's him with this guy who's wearing this shirt that says, I'm a proud Islamophobe. And then there's a whole bunch of like, like a, paragraph of text and this is us floating around on the internet free for people to see that jordan peterson supports this this rhetoric whether or not he actually does i'm gonna go with he does but you know mm-hmm. fine um but then we've got some then we've got fucking jordan peterson going on the joe rogan podcast which is Damn. the most downloaded podcast the mm-hmm. most popular podcast on fucking itunes 
in Canada and the United States. And first of all, why? Second, I don't get it either because I don't find him that interesting or that engaging. No. Um, And be giving Joe uh, Jordan Peterson that type of Joe Rogan platform means that millions of people are now listening to this person who started off as a fringe person in Canada. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking gross. It is fucking gross. And, you know, to add to that, Jonathan Goldsby of Canada land fame has been tweeting out um, a lot of the rhetoric uh, by, by the conservatives, by Bernier. And also he tweeted out um, a speaker's panel from two years ago from the University of Toronto uh, with Doug Ford, Jordan Peterson, Ezra Levant, and Anthony Fury, who is a Sun Media, so Toronto Sun, or sorry, he's the editor, formerly the comment editor of the Ottawa Sun, but he's from Sun Media. And we all know how Su- Sue Ann Levy and the Toronto Sun works, which is completely Islamophobic. And what's killing me is that, you know what? Oh my God, what pisses me off? This is what pisses me off. Is, is that on one hand, people, white people will tell you, how dare you? How dare you not listen to these people and give them space and room to speak? Rem- like, I would, Why? Right? Why? Because the tenet of white supremacy is fucking violence. The two cannot be separated. Mm-mm. Okay? So basically, the U of University of Toronto, which gets my fucking tax dollars, your tax mm-hmm. dollars, and your tax dollars, we're, we are inadvertently funding hate. Yep. Think about that shit. Just so pissed off. <laughs> Yeah, and so like things like you know Jordan Peterson going on Joe Rogan, and all of these events are contributing to the global white supremacist movement. Um, and you know the the media has portrayed him as a lone wolf, but you know so many other events have shown that they're not necessarily lone wolves. There is this unspoken network. Um, so. You know, there is a kind of a social media aspect to this too. Um, posting the manifesto on Twitter and face and streaming the video to Facebook, a 17 minute video. Um, it was posted to Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. It was posted on 8chan, um, a dark web message board. Um, it includes links to the manifesto. When 4chan is too liberal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> you know, you've gone to the wrong place when. Um, Anyway, Facebook has now removed the page and the video, um, but the video has already gone viral. But Facebook has updated, is updating on Twitter, I I believe, saying how many times they've removed the video and they're trying to remove it so many times. But, you know, it's gotten like over a million impressions. Anyways, these types of events are generally meant to get people's attention and social media has... um, weakened or destroyed many of the gatekeepers that shield the general public from exposure to this kind of violence. Uh, before the, the rise of the internet, it was unusual for anyone besides the police and the media to receive these kinds of materials. And now it's possible, possible for them to be passed around so quickly further, you know, advancing that, that network of white supremacists. 
Well, Facebook has rightly come under fire for for not doing enough to um to remove these accounts. What is interesting is that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube has um removed some something like 1200 ISIS accounts, but somehow they're powerless to do the same with white supremacy. Why? Hmm. Hmm. And people love to give them a pass like, oh, well, you know, they're whatever. And I'm just like, no. Facebook has known it's had a problem with hate forever. Mark Zuckerberg got on the Recode podcast with Kara Swisher, Swisher and was like, well... You know, they're just a difference of opinion. Like, I don't like it. But, you know, right, free yeah. speech, free speech. And I'm like, fucker, you don't fucking get it, do you? The thing is, is that as the creator and owner of a platform, you get to decide what goes on there. So you want the power, but no responsibility. No responsibility. And Erica, as you love saying... With great power comes great responsibility. I'm just saying a platform is a privilege. What's one like positive thing that's come from all of this um, is that uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand has said that they're going to be banning semi-automatic weapons and changing mm-hmm. their gun laws. It took them 24 it hours. It took them 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> there were a lot of funny tweets about people being like, oh, so uh, what, what happened to the thoughts and prayers? And just like, poking fun at the U.S. who always are like, oh, thoughts and prayers. My thoughts and prayers are with the community mm-hmm. who take no action on anything. All right, moving on. So last week, U.S. federal law enforcement announced that they were arresting and laying charges against 50 people in the United States' largest college admission scam. Those facing charges range from wealthy business people, college athletic coaches and administrators, and, weirdly, Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin, a.k.a. Aunt Becky. Um, seeing Aunt, hashtag Aunt Becky trend on Twitter was very bizarre. Becky with the bad grades. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I smell a title. <laughs> yeah, every time, she's so good. I know, right? Uh, the lawsuit alleges that Parents, including Huffman and Laughlin, paid a company the key to help get their kids into the colleges of their choice, ranging from Yale and Georgetown to USC and Wake Forest. Uh, The key would then bribe coaches, SAT and ACT and test administrators to get the kids into the schools. The scam was so elaborate or ridiculous um, that the kids were applying for athletic status for sports they didn't even play and falsifying athletic achievements through photoshopped photos, staged photos, or literally photos of other people. Oh, fuck off. Um, the exam cheating was also extremely egregious, um, and it was happened in the way that the key would arrange for the SATs to be taken at specific locations with specific proctors to mark slash correct the exams for the children when they had a wrong answer and in some cases even sit with the kids 
as they took the exams to tell them the right answer. Whoa. They also would uh, send in other people to take the exams for them. So the U.S. attorney for Massachusetts, Andrew Lelling, said, quote, there can be no separate college admission system for the wealthy, and I will add, there will not be a separate criminal justice system either. For every student admitted through fraud, an honest, genuinely talented student was rejected. So Rick Singer, the mastermind of the fraud, said that there are typically two doors for college acceptance. The first being the front door, which is getting accepted on your own merits. And the second is the back door or being wealthy enough to have your parents make a sizable donation or buy building to the school of your choice. Mm -hmm. And he basically said that his scheme effectively created a third side door, which was just crime. Just Just crime. Be doing illegal things. Oh, my gosh. Um. This is just seems like a comedy of errors, and I can't wait for the eventual like movie on this. Um, so this whole situation has launched a discussion about privilege, specifically about those who are and should be accepted into colleges and how that actually happens. So, you know, there's a lot of inequality when it comes to education, despite the fact that a college education is one of the biggest factors that contributes to pulling someone out of poverty. And yet, in this instance, we see these millionaires making a mockery of the education system and having their undeserving children take up spaces. Uh, Amy, can you think of some examples of other ways the education education system upholds inequality? I was going to say, there's that time in Gossip Girl where she gets someone to take the exam for her. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I actually think the... Uh, I think more needs to be said about these people who buy their way in through like open donations, like, vi- sure. like you know, publicly. Like I definitely want to talk about that later. Yeah. But I think it's it's fucked up that we sort of ignore that. But I mean, every facet of education is fucked up. I mean, you know, beginning with which, what the um, high school and elementary school systems are like that sort of set up the stage for who's going to go where um, is already deeply flawed. Um, financially speaking, it's, I mean, it's impossible for most people to attend a university or college of any kind. Um, so in, and this, you know, and so that, I mean, that, that is probably, I think the, the greatest barrier. Um, and then on, on top of all of that, all of these, um, processes that we use to measure, you know, merit are also fucked up. Like even like standardized exams are, um, skewed to favor um, certain people. They've been shown to dip, uh, that white people disproportionately do better on them. Um, it's been shown that, you know, I mean, they're, they're certainly ableist, like they're created for a certain type of, of um, learning uh, style and a certain, t- uh, someone who's able to sit mm-hmm. in a room and take a test in that way. And it's, um, so in that sense, they they create a significant uh, barrier based on like around ability and all sorts of other factors. And already like the, there's this whole cottage industry around test taking um, and tutoring and um, yeah. and and all of those like all the SAT prep um, stuff, uh, which is like also creates yet another hurdle um, to say nothing of the the other um, facet of like, you know, 
college prep, like people who help you write your ad- admissions letters mm-hmm. and people who re- help you do up your application. And, and yeah. frankly, being or if you're not first, if you're first generation uh, entrant to a university, not knowing where to apply, the fact that there's no proper guidance counseling, the fact that like, you know, people who there is like a legacy um, advantage to mm-hmm. a lot of institutions, like it's everything about the education system in the U.S. and in Canada to a, to a similar, although not as uh, exaggerated uh, degree, um, is is very much like all around privilege. It's very exclusionary. Yeah, and all of those things like the the exam prep and um, the tutoring, that stuff, you know, even further upstream happens. Like when you're a child, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you know, kids who can go afford to go to Kumon and yeah. go to math school yeah. or reading school on the weekends yeah. to improve themselves um whereas you know you've got a lot of marginalized communities or people who are families who whose where english is not their first language just like maybe you can't afford to mm-hmm. do those things whether it's a financial thing or whether it's because you know that's a single family home or they just don't know because they don't have the community or the resources yeah. to do it yeah. i love the scandal I fucking love it. It's so good. And you know why? Number one, like who can resist Felicity Huffman and fucking Lori Loughlin? They mean themselves. Yeah, like they they certainly do. Um, Lori Lo- so I actually took a peek at Lori Loughlin's daughter's uh, YouTube channel. Oh, fuck. And I saw when she referenced school and how she didn't give a fuck. And how she'll be jetting off to L.A. and New York. And no, she was already in L.A. because it's USC. But New York and all around the country to do her Sephora label stuff. Mm -hmm. By the way, Sephora dumped her. And, you know, since she's an influencer, she's going to have to take time off school. She's going to have to talk to the people at USC to make sure she can take time off school. And I'm like, why are you even fucking there? Well, there's also a video of her literally saying, I don't care about going to like, class. that is the same I want to go to the football yeah. games and I want to, like, party with my friends. Exactly. That's it's, all she gives a shit it's, about. It's wild that anyone would bend over backwards for this spoiled brat. But also, like, what is... She, like, I mean, everyone need, everyone needs an education, but, like, she does not need an education. She doesn't. And I, I was listening to The Daily... She doesn't need an education at a university of that Well, no. exactly. She doesn't. And I was listening to The Daily and The Daily had a really good recap of this. And um, what they were, what the reporters were saying who reported on this case was that it's not as though they're going to get a leg up because uh, they went to university. Because they're so wealthy. Because they're so wealthy already. It is only for the prestige. It's only for the ego. Whereas kids who, for whom university makes a huge Mm -hmm, difference mm -hmm. in their lifetime earnings are getting shut out. What the fuck does that tell you? And on top of that, can we talk about college sports? And how college sports in itself... I mean, college sports is already a scam. But but the whole thing is, is that part of this whole scam was that these kids were going to be admitted as athletes when they Mm -hmm. weren't athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the the nuance around that is that um, NCAA coaches have one or two spots on a team that they can basically tell the admissions office, I want that that kid ought to play for our school because they have these athletic achievements they don't necessarily have the grades or the sat score to get into the university but i want you to make an exception because 
uh, they will benefit the the school in a different way. Yeah, and sometimes that actually works in tr- in a way to like you know lift like bring in people who otherwise would never have had a shot. Yeah, um, and that's great. But Improve like, there's the no, prestige of the university. But whatever. there's no scrutiny around that. Like, you might want to at least verify what these coaches are saying. Um, maybe look to see at like what tournaments or whatever these people like played there's in. Too much money to in like it. confirm. And then, like, okay, so she comes to school. She's clearly not playing on the team. No one's checking that? Well, that's the weird thing. I think and that's really weird. She didn't row for USC, so, like, what the fuck happened? Uh, 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 they, she could Because people get, in most universities, if you are there on a sports scholarship or you're let in, I mean, this isn't a scholarship. This is, like, you have a spot, which is different, mm-hmm. I guess. She's, I imagine, still paid tuition. Mm-hmm. But, like, you still are, like, you got in for this reason. Are you actually on the team? And if you're not, you get let like kicked out of school people lose their spots sometimes or like are put on probate like whatever there's like all sorts of things yeah and this person's like not, not only got the people. advantage of getting in but got the advantage of staying in getting to leave oh, when she wanted police? of like get it yeah yeah, 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 yeah okay yeah. yeah so here's the thing if you are a school like louisville and rick patino former rick patino who is a legend in college basketball says I want this person on your team. Who the fuck is going to say no? This is a guy who's be who is probably being paid a million plus dollars. The low, they, they, there's so they, much money. in They this. easily make seven figures. Yeah. That's there's so, so much money in this that nobody wants to look under the hood just in case that that money flow stops. And the amount of money that these, these schools are making off kids that are actually, especially kids that are in a socioeconomic class where they need a scholarship is gross. So for example, um, Nick Saban, the football coach for Alabama, who is like the top, the top football NCAA program um, in the 2018, 19 season, his base salary was $7.125 million. um, And Plus incentives. So if you make playoffs, if you win a bo- you win your bowl game, if you whatever make it to the college football championships, you get extra things. If you make hit so many ga- wins in the season, you get extra bonuses. So his base salary was seven point one million. That's insane. I mean, I think he's probably like the highest. He's the most well known coach. Yeah, but there's somebody making three million. Sure, absolutely. Yes, there's a you know like. I think the distribution is not as this is not an outlier is my point. Like, like I said, Rick Pitino was a legend in college basketball, University of Kentucky, um, college basketball, Alabama, Auburn, college football, mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Same thing. Yeah. Right. All of the amount of money that's pumped into these schools is gross. It is disgusting for amateur sports. But anyway, let's get back to white privileged, you know, people who love to tell people of color that they only got there, that they didn't Mm -hmm. get there from from their merit. They love to tell people of color that. Yeah. How do they know? Supreme Court decisions. I like want to shake that kid. Yeah. So basically. So. Yeah. yeah, So. So basically, there's been also been a discussion about affirmative action. Um, you know, in conjunction with this with this scam, um, basically saying that affirmative action clearly is not working because you have all of these 
mostly white kids. There are a few non-white families, but mostly white families, you know, paying just to get their kids into school that mm-hmm. they don't necessarily need to. And there's just like, they're literally going there for the cachet and for to further their own, in the case of Lori Laughlin's daughter, Olivia Jade, further her own brand. Listen, she ain't the brightest star in the sky. No, but she's, if she's, she, they were, no, she's dumb. She's dumb as fuck. But she's smart enough to know like what sells. Mm-hmm. Which means that she doesn't need to go to school. Well, you know, she's probably taking something stupid too. She's not taking what she should be <laughs> taking, which is marketing. She should need to go to marketing. That's what she should be taking at USC. I agree. I mean, she can uh, take marketing at, at like a state college and be Absolutely. Just absolutely. Yeah. She'd be fine. Sure. Um, but the thing is, they're not going to kick these kids out if they go on academic probation. They're no, still going to give no, them no. fine First, grades. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's and it's exactly not like an Emma Watson who went to Harvard and like worked her ass off and like did yeah. it all on her own. I mean, mostly on her own, I presume. Yeah. Because it hurt to have oh, there's a lot, Emma I mean, Watson or Natalie Portman. Of, I was going to say, there's a lot of those examples, you know. Yeah. Natalie Portman, the guy from Weezer, you know, all Ivy League scholars. Mm-hmm. It's funny to say. Um, I assume they got in legitimately. Frank sure, their Lo- name doesn't doesn't you know. hurt, but well, now I don't know. Yeah, a lot of it's in question. I mean, you know, now were we donations gotta- made? Like, this is why the donation track I also think needs to be like scrutinized mm-hmm. a lot more. Yes, yeah, that was one of the it things they said like, in the quote, daily. It may yeah. be like quote unquote legitimate or legal. It is like not morally or like as a public policy it's just thing. not ethically i don't mm, like it it's not sound yeah so um in mclean's scott gilmore i oh, roll for fuck's sake wrote a piece <laughs> that basically said well we all help our children out regardless of our scott gilmore class. can fuck off uh, basically saying like, oh, well, you know, I go golfing with this person who knows the best pediatrician and they there's a wait list, but like they can put in a good word for me or whatever. God, he He's like, we all we all do this. And it kind of started a conversation about, OK, like what are the limits as parents and as people should we stop calling in favors or asking people to commit? I mean, connections? the thing is like, yeah, you can do it. But what systems are allowing that to happen? And what systems create so that there are ex- like extensive waiting lists for pediatricians that people can't access health care? Like, that's the issue. And who are these shady-ass pediatricians who are letting people jump the queue? But the question is, who are you crowding out well, when you do that? For sure, for sure. But I'm less concerned with what the individual chooses to do and more what the institutions allow them to get away with, right? Fair. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, Scott Gilmore can make all the calls he wants, but who's on the other end? Well, that's the issue. And why are they? And why, why are they? Are they impa- why are they allowed to let people? With why and what are they expecting? The call? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that and that's you know, I mean, that's the and Catherine that- McKenna of it all because, like, right. I think it's really funny that he c- thinks it's it's fine for him to speak so publicly on this. And like, I hope she's the William H Macy of this situation. And like, you know, well, and, even if she is the William H Macy, ignorant, I have questions. Like, I yeah, have fucking it questions fucking, after that. It article. is fucking weird. Yeah. So I would say that, um, you know, people like Scott Gilmore, is that to me, that whole piece sounded like a fucking humble brag to me. Uh, it was like, yeah. I Weird have flex. the connections. You don't. Ha, 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 ha. I don't know how appropriate that is if your wife is running for reelection under helping the middle class. But I digress. 
Interesting. Okay. We just gave y'all some oppo research. Well, I'm just saying that that is, that is, I just, there's an idea for anybody who wants to run with it. And this is the reason that I don't stand for any political party and I am an independent voter because this is bullshit. I mean, the fact that Scott Gilmore can go on there and humble brag in the middle of um, a sort of situation where people are like, well, our institutions are fucking corrupt because that's what's going to come from this. It's just going to it's just going to further that narrative that our institutions are crumbling. They're not For working sure. and they're corrupt. We have a public corrupt. healthcare system with wait lists. If you can't follow the wait list, I find that at the very, if not illegal, ethically reprehensible. I agree. And so, and so, you know, that is what fueled that feeling that, that, that our institutions are not working for us. It fuels the sort of the extremism that we talked about in the last piece is that we know that things aren't always fair. Um, I think that there are a lot of angry white people who are just figuring that out. And this just proves that our systems are corrupt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, it's definitely not a, rel- a revelation that any of this is happening or right. that these systems are open to this kind of fraud or that the the systems favor the elite. I mean, it's university inherently on its face especially ones that charge fifty thousand a year in tuition are already a project and privilege but you know what what's frustrating especially is that people have been using the language of merit and you know this so-called meritocracy mm-hmm. to keep people out of universities racialized people out of universities and fight against affirmative actions and you know um efforts that would create equality by saying that the system is already fair and that those elements create an unfairness and that like and that sort of weaponizing of the of that sort of you know um the, the expression w- of meritocracy is is what's you know holding like holding any sort of progress back and then you have the abigail fishers of the world who you know that the scotus complainant <laughs> who you know is arguing against affirmative action and crying that she should have gotten into all sorts of universities and it was only because of affirmative action that she didn't and she had shitty grades that's why she, didn't she had in. she had shitty grades and i'm sure some rich kid got past it like you know it's like it's really dumb to be like i know all like, these other people but but, but what is their <clears throat> what is their first reaction yeah well it's entitlement it's, it's, it's in to a blame sense of entitlement all of the and blame all racialized of, people. right yeah. right the racialized people who barely make up so for example i know black is like barely make up like five percent of the student body population but those are the people they choose to attack mm-hmm. why don't they attack mm-hmm. these white legacy kids mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, BuzzFeed published an anonymous um, first-person essay from someone who used to work in a college admissions office. And they basically said that, you know, yeah, we've got affirmative action, but uh, based on the criteria we have, the admissions criteria, we have to let in a bunch of fucking mediocre rich kids because uh, they've got legacies so basically, yeah, you know, the, people the policy, are skewed. The yeah. applications viewed are uh, scored on like a several things. And like if your parents or your grandparents went to that university or college, then that gets you a certain amount of points. And they want to continue building that legacy because then you're going to give them money. Right. Um, because very likely you're already from money. Right. They also prioritize people who are rich, who can pay full tuition and don't need scholarships or bursaries. 
And uh, they also prioritize mediocre white men because they don't apply. They're not going to university in the same um, numbers that they used to. So more women are now going to university. And so in order to have some sort of quote unquote equality, they just let in these white men who are like, well, they're they're okay. We'll just let them in anyway. Oh, so what are you saying, Aaron? That medio that mediocrity for white men gets a pass? Huh, mediocre and, white men always failing up. Oh. And mm. and so are you saying that the uh positions and, and, and access to power is not being taken from them, Aaron? Is that mm. what you're saying? Yeah, it looks like oh, it. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. I would like to bring people to the um I would like to center a woman named Kelly Williams Baller who served nine days in jail in 2011 after she was found guilty of using her father's address instead of her own in an attempt to have her daughters enroll in a better school district than the Akron, Ohio ones they were slated for. So she was put on probation for three years and required to complete 80 hours of community services as somebody who didn't even bribe anybody because she couldn't afford to bribe anybody, but she didn't bribe anybody. She just used a different address, an address of a relative, yet got jailed. And Tanya McDowell, who got 12 years for sending her six-year-old son to Norwalk, um, Connecticut's Brookside Elementary School, where she, quote, lived in Bridgeport even though she was homeless. All right, stay tuned for Rent and Receipts. So before we move on to Rant and Receipts, uh, I just want to remind people that we have merch. Oh, yeah. So yeah. head over to redbubble.com slash people slash bad and bitchy and you can check out our merch we've got a whole bunch of different things we've got two different designs you can get a cell phone case you can get t-shirts you can get sweatshirts you can get a wall hanging you can get pillows and you can get mugs we got a whole bunch of shit go get it um we're trying to decide what each of us are going to order so we can be rocking our own merch i want to do like this little experiment where walk around downtown Ottawa, Hindenburg, Ottawa, and see who either A, recognizes it, and B, who will actually come up to me and say something. That is my experiment. As someone who sometimes walks around with either a Pod Save America or a Friend of the Pod t-shirt, uh-huh. no one says that anything ever, which is interesting. Huh. Yeah. But uh, here, I've had people say it things to me like not here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so rant and receipts, we each bring something to to rant about, and then we we, we chat about it. So I'm going to go first. So I if you haven't been able to tell on the podcast. I have a really bad cough, and this has been ongoing for the past 10 or 15 years, and it's been really bad um, recently. Wait, 10 or 15 years? On and off. Yeah. Like if I get a cold, it'll oh, like, okay. na- the cough will nag for like a few months afterwards. Okay. But this cough iteration of the cough I've had since about August. Mm. And, um, you know, it's, I went to the doctor and she gave me a prescription. She gave me another prescription, two different things. And, uh, Finally, she was like, you know what? I'm going to refer you to a specialist. I'll refer you to a respirologist. 
So I went to this respirologist appointment on the uh, on Friday, and uh, it was first a series of tests, and then I met with the actual doctor. So the tests were done by by um, an office assistant or a tech of some sort, and she was great. Um, explained was very helpful. Explained all of the how the tests functioned and showed me all the things. And then I met with the doctor and he was Indian and we're talking and he's asking me questions for my file. And um, he kind of stops and looks at me and he's like, are you Asian? And I was like, yeah. He was like, okay. And he looks back at his computer, looks back at me. And he turns his computer screen to me. He's like, well, the reason I ask is because uh, she put you down as Caucasian. And, um, you know, that that can in- impact the results. It's like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah. So, like, you know, based on being Caucasian, these are your results. He's like, I'll go ask her to put in Asian. I'm like, oh, okay. And so he goes and... He, she produces some other the, the other results with Asian as my ethnicity because apparently you can only select one and uh, he's like okay he's like yeah they're they're not much different they're pretty the same except for this one thing where like you know being Caucasian you got like 88 out of 100 which is within the normal range but uh, on the Asian one you're like 112 out of 100 um, which obviously like is good and uh i was like okay he's like yeah and he looks back at them trying to decide and he's like what i don't he was just basically very confused about how he should interpret these two very different results and it was just like i don't really know how to take this it's kind of i guess it's inconclusive as to whether or not you have asthma it, you could have asthma you could also not have asthma what the but, fuck's this test? But uh, these and this is solely based on your race. Yeah, be, so I guess it's because Asians have smaller lung capacity yeah. because they're yeah, generally so the just me- smaller the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was just like, I don't know what how like how he should interpret the results. He's like, do I take like the median, like the average? Right, because like, the system was only based it's on racist one or the other. and ba- you, it only believes people are one thing. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's true. Though, like the- every medical study probably doesn't run tests on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hmm. funny you should mention that because I have kind of like a corollary <laughs> story to that. Yeah. So um, when my so years ago, I had like a tumor. It ended up being benign, thankfully. Um, but they were confused. Right. As to why they didn't know what it was. And the doctor, who was a white woman, um, was like, oh, well, you must have, like, um, lactose intolerance. I do not. But it's just because I'm black that they assume that I did. And um, it it just goes to show that these medical books are singular and and only promote the singularity of um i don't want to say identity because that's but you determine your identity yeah and 
so they're like, oh, you must be lactose intolerant. And I said, no. And they're like, yeah, you probably are because I don't know shit about my body, apparently. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that I wasn't. Shocking. Huh. Weird. Because not every black person is lactose intolerant. The other thing, too, is that I'm South American Indian, too, in my bloodstream. So that's another story. But it's this idea that you can only be one thing and purely be one thing. And basically that error... um, can, like adversely affect someone's life. It did life. adversely affect my life. Yeah. Like I shouldn't be here. That's how much it adversely affected my life. So basically my point is that the medical field needs to get their shit together and recognize that there's not a one size fits all thing and that there are people who are more than one race. But I feel like this is not new. My mom was just like, have they never talked to someone who wasn't just one race? And like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, this should not be new. This is not new. Like, no. this this is like a 40-year-old phenomenon. Yeah, but I can least. imagine it's understudied as most sure. things are. Yeah. So I don't... I'm, I'm trying to think of, like... Not that I've, like, studied me- medicine, but, like, I feel like most of the studies you read when they give you what the size of the sample is, they do break it down for race, but I don't, I don't think I've ever noticed that they... that there's anything beyond, like, singular racial identities but isn't that what um amira was is it amira right amira was saying on our panel when we're on that gba plus panel Mm -hmm. is that with hate crime statistics you can either you can't be Mm. you can't check more than one box right yeah yeah. so you can't be black and muslim you're Mm -hmm. the 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 statistic mm-hmm. is e- is counted either or yeah. and not in the in an intersectional way. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, here's another way that our systems are not keeping up with the way the population is distributed. And Absolutely. we feel icky about race, so we don't talk about it, mm-hmm. so we don't ask the question. So we don't collect the statistics, even though that those are statistics that one must collect. Yeah, so anyone listening in the medical field or if you're doing um, a master's or some sort of PhD, fucking do a study about people who are more than one race. We, you're welcome. Legit. This isn't new. Also, like, maybe there's better tools for measuring whether or not you have yeah, asthma. Yeah, than race. That's beyond. Like, now I have to go to, like, for, the, like, like a separ- average lung capacity of a. <laughs> now I have to go for, like, a separate asthma test. But here's the thing. What if you are not so-called the, t- even if you were full Asian, what if you're not the quote-unquote typical? Oh, for sure. That, but that's how people get misdiagnosed all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. So, again, people of color that's like the same are thing duly with, burdened. With, yeah, yeah. For sure. And that happens all the time in the medical system. That's why I like people who are, um, you know, overweight or over what the like medicine considers the average weight. Like, you know, they ignore yeah. certain health indicators and are like, oh, well, you couldn't possibly have this because there's clearly nothing wrong with you. And you're like, well, I know the way I feel. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. maybe you want to run those tests just to be sure. Yeah. Do I need to get a specialist in yeah. here? Like, yeah. Cool. So um, I guess for my rant, just a uh, brief little part two to last week's rant. Uh, (laughs) Take it um, home. uh, You know, just sort of like closing the circle on the uh, Ilhan Omar, uh, you know, 
quote unquote controversy around her statements and more so the controversy of no one coming to her uh, defense around the Islamophobic uh, attacks that she faced um, and, and was targeted by. There is um, a vigil held in, in New York um, for the Christchurch massacre. Uh, and <clears throat> there was a young Palestinian American woman who confronted Chelsea Clinton, who was attending uh, that event um, and, and kind of spoke to her like off the side one-on-one essentially saying like, Hey, I don't think it's cool that you're here. You essentially just last week by, you know, saying that Elhan Omar's comments were anti-Semitic and then also not speaking out about the Islamophobia she was facing and kind of framing everything through anti-Semitism as a way to silence black Muslim women on the issue of Palestine. Maybe you shouldn't be here at this like a particular event because I think your intentions aren't necessarily pure long and short of it. Um, and Twitter really came for this like young woman in defense of Chelsea Clinton, people just being like, Chelsea took her ass to this rally with love in her heart and a pregnant baby in her belly and like all this sort of nonsense um, of people needing to be sort of um, respectful of, of Chelsea Clinton and and the purity with which he had initially critiqued Omar, which is like entirely, utterly bullshit. Um, and like, you know, no real awareness of what these spaces are for. Like, you know, I think a lot of times there's so many events and this is also what this woman kind of noted about this, this event too. And, and sorry, I'm not saying her, I don't know her name because her, um, her Twitter is at Viva Palestine, which is like Palestine is how you're supposed to really say Palestine. Um, that's another rant about how we don't have the letter P in the Arabic language and it should be Palestine. And I think it's bullshit that it's Palestine. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Okay. Uh, so we don't, I, know the, well, we, just we don't know, something we don't today. know this woman's <laughs> name for that reason. But in any case, and she's saying like, even at this, even at this vigil, I shouldn't call a rally, probably a vigil. Um, most of the, like, you know, there, there weren't, is organized, you know, by the Muslim community, but there's so many like white speakers. And I think this is true at a lot of vigils. There's like a lot of people there to kind of, you know, and it's not necessarily like to question people's motives per se, but it's a type of virtue, signaling. but, it, but it's a type of virtue signaling and, and more so like you're just taking up space that should be reserved for the community to like the community most targeted to mourn. And like your expression of solidarity is in being there and maybe paying for candles and paying for tea and like telling your networks and like spreading the message, but not taking the stage and taking the mic and taking the megaphone. And especially when you're sleeping on Islamophobia every other, you know, day of the year. Right. Especially when you call out a member of Congress for so-called anti-Semitic, um, you know, tweets or positions that, you know, that you are centering yourself yeah. in and yeah. you're not even Jewish. And you're giving, well, she's a con- she's converted. Oh, she did? Chelsea yeah. Clinton? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay. Her husband's okay. Jewish. She's, My she's a convert, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, but it's more like, the it's more the idea that, yeah, she's not a Megan McCain. Uh, she, okay. I think that her views on, on anti-Semitism are, you know, probably like more, ge- more genuine yeah. to maybe how she feels having spent time and being more closely linked to the Jewish community and, and being part of the Jewish faith, maybe not as like a racial identity, but right. like, right. As part of the community, yeah, as okay. part of the community. So yeah. like, that's, you know, whatever that's there's fair. room there, that's but to fair. me it's like, yeah. Where where was Chelsea Clinton mounting a, you know, attack on Stephen King or whoever else? Right. 
um, or any other anti-Semite that's sitting in Congress. Jeanine Pirro. Jeanine Pirro, whatever, right? There's so many folks, but she like targeted her attack at Ilhan Omar and without any, and then w- in a way that wasn't really opening a dialogue. Um, she's one of the, Chelsea Clinton is one of the main people that was elite, like kind of pushing the Democratic Party in a, in a very um, strategic way to, you know, put a resolution essentially on the floor and within their own caucus around Ilhan Omar's role in the party. Like, and, you know, and, and sort of like censuring her for her comments. Like that's next, some next level shit. And not to be able to sit back and, you know, reflect on how your actions are, um, you know, a form of misogynoir and like Islamophobic, I think is, is, is what is what's at issue here. And then to show up in the next week and, and, you know, expect to be welcomed as an, as a quote unquote ally when you weren't really an ally the, the next week and you couldn't take an extra second to think or dialogue with Ilhan Omar and like, and assess, you know, assess whether or not her views were, like anti-Semitic instead you jumped on this bandwagon of using anti-Semitism which is obviously a very legitimate thing that happens in the world constantly um but using that as a way to silence uh you know racialized women on a specific issue of like that is really about racial injustice um and I think like you know it's it's appropriate to call someone out who's a very much a political and public figure like Chelsea Clinton on that and there are just so many Chelsea Clinton stands on Twitter right now. It's pretty gross. Um, I my disclaimer is I'm not a fan of Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> I think that she's she acts like she's holier than thou with her tweets and does not um, seek to. This is an edu- a highly educated woman, yet spews the same sort of rhetoric as uh, a centrist Democrat without any nuance, without any sort of thoughtfulness whatsoever. And I think it betrays her education. I really do. Let's not forget that Chelsea Clinton herself um, has actually done this before. She has waged war on protesters herself in 2001. Uh, in 2001, flying the fla- the American flag and heckling people, mm. Chelsea Clinton, the former U.S. president's daughter, has been waging her own campaign against peace, peace protesters at Oxford University. So how the fuck can Kelsey- Chelsea Clinton show up at a vigil where she was not invited? She's not entitled no. to be in that space. No. So let's get that straight. Yeah. Okay, she it's not an open space that she is welcome to. Mm. This is a safe space meant for Muslim people to mourn. Mm. You are not entitled to enter into that space. You're not entitled to take up authority in that space either. Mm -hmm. So that pissed me off. Second Mm. of all, the woman wasn't yelling. Mm -hmm. Okay, she wasn't yelling at Chelsea Clinton. Oh, fragile Chelsea Clinton. She wasn't yelling at her. She was she was impassioned. Mm-hmm. I saw a woman who was in pain mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. saying that you have contributed to the rhetoric that is out there because you decided to take a position without speaking to people on quote unquote both sides, which is something that you always um perpetrate on your platform and you decided that you were going to take a position against a Muslim woman of color. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. With no nuance whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? And and the first hijabi woman in Congress, the Who one is- of one of two first Muslim women in Congress, um, you know, I think it's uh, another piece of pro- like you know evolution of this story from last week is that Democrats are pro like concert like actively concertedly looking for a challenger to ilhan omar and it's only been two months into her term yes um and you can be sure throwing her under the bus that's coming from the institutional stock of the democratic party which is you know clinton's at the helm of that right that's right um and i think you know the influence that chelsea clinton had in in leading that discussion is is part of motivating that and i think it's totally legitimate for the muslim community and members of the muslim community even as individuals speaking only for themselves um you know to have a right to be angry and 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 passionately so that you ever now um you know, you don't want real representation. I, you know, I mm-hmm. think, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's frustrating. I just like read a tweet, you know, where someone was saying like, you know, Democrat, it's a Democratic platitude to say elect more women or listen to black women. Like people love kind of re- parroting back these expressions that I think came from a more organic place at one point. But now I've just become like, you know, Democratic platitudes. But when these women speak, and this is a lot of what we talked about you know, about Jody Wilson-Raybould and others, like, mm-hmm. in, you know, it's a, it's a common phenomenon. But once, you know, Ilhan Omar, you know, speaks on behalf of a community and speaks on interests of Muslim people and Arab people and black people and, and whatever else, and, and one of those main issues is Palestine or, or racial discrimination or Islamophobia, suddenly we don't want that kind of representation. You're the bad kind of minority. That's you know? right. You're not our model minority that we can hold up. Fuck. And by the way, model minorities get nowhere anyway for being model minorities. I just want to tell every person who thinks they can model minority their way through life and everything will be okay. It will fucking not. Because you're a minority. You're not of the right skin color. Let's get that straight. Mm -hmm. Period. And here's where I get into white women. Chelsea Clinton is a white feminist. Okay. I'm not here for her shit. And this is bullshit. And I'm tired of people holding up Chelsea Clinton as though she's something more than just a white feminist like everybody else who doesn't fucking get it. And if she does get it, the fact that she is behaving like this is cynicism. Mm. And to think that white women and white men who are fucking centrist will shout down a woman of color. Okay? Mm -hmm. A woman who herself should be centered is gross Mm -hmm. and it's fucking telling Mm -hmm. and I'm tired Mm -hmm. of this performative diversity bullshit I see not only from centrists in the Democratic Party but for centrist fucking liberals. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is is that like Chelsea Clinton, regardless of whether or not she's pregnant, is a public figure. And if a public figure is going to any event and is going to be putting things into the public sphere through platforms like Twitter, they are open to criticism. It doesn't matter whether, what their intention is. The fact is, is that they have a blue check mark and they are a public figure. They are well known and therefore they are open to criticism because look at any celebrity. You know, people criticized Rihanna for so long. They criticized Miley Cyrus. They've criticized all of these other people particularly women for being bad role models and they were like well you know i i, I just want to sing i i just want to be a performer i'm not a role model 
well, no, that that actually kind of comes with the being of, of a public figure is being a role model and be rec- not even necessarily being a role model, but recognizing that people are scrutinizing your actions and you have to be OK with that. And I don't know if it's so much like Chelsea Clinton isn't okay with that or if it's people who are in her circles or who are her stands think that she can do no wrong who are unwilling to accept that she is open to criticism. Is this belief that the educated white woman is the epitome of what we all should be? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This idea that Chelsea Clinton has a PhD from Oxford, we should all be we should all be like bowing down to her. Well, when it turns out that she was just like Walden at Oxford, like getting people to like shut down their like. How do we know the Clintons didn't fucking uh, war war, like protest? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's no surprise. Both of her parents are warmongers, so. Exactly. And her dad has a little Epstein connection there that is questionable at best. At best. Okay. So you're telling me that I should be what? Chelsea. Nobody should touch Chelsea Clinton because why? And when I'm sorry, but when Donald Jr. comes out in your defense, I have questions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's all these people wanting to distance them. Essentially, to bring it back to what we talked about at the top of the pod is like people want to distance themselves from the from the rhetoric that has allowed this type of white supremacist terrorism to take hold across communities of young white men the world over and you know it's not to say that chelsea clinton is the singular figure that made that happen it's every action that that allows the perpetuation of those islamophobic tropes and racist comments to have to have ground and for people to you know use that sort of othering um thinking in every sphere and there's a great like there's a you know spectrum on which that exists and and on you know on one you know on one extreme it's you know the the out and out white supremacists and not too far from that is the donald trump's of the world and frankly not too far from that is the democratic party and liberals like chelsea clinton who, who don't do anything and when they have the chance to say something perpetuate these ideas or don't speak out on islamophobia and you know there it's all it's all part of the you know culture that allows these ideas to take hold or or at the very least doesn't challenge them but she's just trying to separate herself away like distance herself or distance herself from any culpability by showing up at this vigil that to me that's there i i can't she I used think it as a prop what, i think that that's you know there's no way that that's not part of it yeah to, to some degree right yeah she used it as a prop her attending that vigil was a prop for her to shield herself from any criticism of uh of the writer of of the statements that she's made there were so many of those uh, tweets too last like this past week you know like michelle like every fucking conservative in canada michelle rempel all these it's like people were like agonizing like really heightening the drama about how hurt they were about the massacre and it's like honestly it all felt like just crocodile tears Um, I, I don't I don't buy anyone's sympathy for a fucking second. Neither do I for a fucking second. I don't think they know the names of the victims. I don't think that they give a shit about what happens to the community going forward. I don't think that these 
you know, members of parliament or other public figures uh, have any real connections to the Muslim community here or are doing anything to provide real support or assistance in the wake of this tragedy and what that means for people's sense of safety and sense of security and like also just general well-being. They don't give a fuck. It's all performative. It is all um, and it's all yeah. with as uh, it's all with an eye to to dis to distance their own culpability from what's happened. I I agree. And um uh yeah, she has <laughs> Chelsea Clinton is to me one of the biggest performers of that. Anyway, um I'm going to take up from that mantle, Amy. And I'm going to let's call this a continuation of exactly what you were talking about, because my rant and receipts has more to do with um, performative white people and basically how they love you. They love to tell talk about how woke they are. They love to talk about how into diversity and representation they are. They love to talk about all of that, but when it comes right down to it, they don't give a fuck. So for so McSweeney's.net, which is a wonderful satirical site, had a great piece. Uh, I think it was from last week, so I'm kind of cheating here. But it's so apt. And it says, for far too long, this is from the perspective of a white feminist. For far too long, women of color have been silenced by the forces of white supremacy and patriarchy. Therefore, it is important to recognize that women of color deserve to have their voices heard and that those in power, such as myself, need to listen to them as long as they don't challenge the institutions that I am a part of and benefit from. Then there are women of color like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilian Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Nina Turner, and Angela Davis. I really want to like them because it's beneficial to me to use them as props, but I just can't get behind them once they start expressing their beliefs. On one hand, it's like, yes, queen, do your thing. But on the other hand, it's like, no, queen, please do not do your thing. I'm laundering money through a shell corporation registered in Delaware, and it simply cannot be taxed. Again, my problem is not with their skin tone or sex. I love that stuff about them. It's their hearts and minds and choices and beliefs I don't like. And isn't that what Martin Luther King Jr. once said? Judge not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character? I know he also talked about the dangers of the, quote, white moderate, unquote, but I have to assume he was talking about an entirely different white person, probably Bernie Sanders. It was just wonderful. That was just epic. And so I think that um, my irritation for the last two weeks, last week it was the, the, the stands from the Liberal Party who decided that in one fell swoop that diversity is only good for tokenism and that anytime a woman of color has a voice, it should not be heard or should be dismissed or should be relegated as secondary to, quote unquote, the white male boss. Um, and this week it is the Clinton supporters who are great wonderful people 
who love democracy and diversity and the idea of people of color with voices until they hear those voices and until those voices impact somebody that they stand for. So I'm not going to make this too long because I had a lot to say with Amy's (laughs) and uh, I'll open the floor. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, So a friend of mine was recently telling me about how in her performance review at work, she, you know, got her, her mark and it was like exceeds expectations. And the way that uh, reviews work where she is, is that those, those reviews are taken then to a management committee and they're discussed because for whatever fucking reason, there has to be a goddamn bell curve of performance reviews. And so she, her manager came out of the meeting and was like, actually, you just get like, she got like an exceeds plus. And she, this time she's like, well, you just got an exceeds. So like you didn't get, you got a four instead of a five. And she was like, well, what's, what's the deal? And it was basically, you now my friend's racialized. And she was like, well, ba-, her manager was like, well, basically uh, the other managers said that some of the things you say make other people uncomfortable. Oh, fuck off. And therefore they were not, how is okay that part of a performance with you getting review? a five? Yeah, exactly. I was completely dumbfounded. And the thing is, is that this, my friend works on in, an indigenous file and, you know, was working on an anti-racism thing for, for her employer and all of these things. So, you know, she needed to call out white supremacy. She needed to be like, well, we should actually include the words white supremacy in this document instead of not because that's the whole purpose of this exercise that's what we're doing here yeah and by not doing that we're watering it down and we're just kind of pussyfooting around the issue and so in her speaking truth to power she was effectively punished for it because she wasn't towing the line of what Mm -hmm. they wanted her to do by doing her job which is the thing that they should actually be evaluating her for yeah and that's what's happening with all of these new congresswomen. Mm-hmm. They're doing totally. their jobs. They're yeah. they're putting out bold ideas. Yeah. They're yeah. and they're identifying they're challenging, problems. They're that challenging the were, status yeah. quo and people are just like, Well, don't challenge it too much. We just want you to go in there and just be like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna challenge it because I'm a woman of color. I'm the first congresswoman or congressperson who wears a hijab and like that type of thing that's how you're challenging you yeah, want to yeah. challenge, challenge the party you're challenging the status quo by being there not by doing anything <laughs> substantive yeah. that's what they want and it's because this because you're not helping them with their the agenda that they want to win on even though their agenda is not what constituents actually yeah. want it's not what the public wants it's not what the communities these women represent want um, and it's not what their intelligence tells them is right and their experience tells them is right, right? This feels like the whole Liberal Party again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is entirely the Jolie Wilson-Raybould, the um, Selena Cesar Cervantes, Savannas, and um, yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, that, it's it's, you're supposed to just look, you're not supposed to say and you literally be window dressing like literally be window dressing and you think that white women would get that Mm -hmm. uh, because they are literally just raised to be window dressing so you think that white women would 
would get that and be an ally. No, no, no. But a lot of white women have bought the idea. Well, one, because they are they benefit from a lot of this. One chromosome away. But they also have the advantage of. um, um, No, it's more it's more to the point that I think they're they've bought or they've been sold this narrative and they don't seem to question it. It's like you should be grateful that you're here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we talked about this, too. It's like people want like you know it's like they want you to know your place and it's like but for us we got you elected or we helped get you here and you should be grateful which i mean is rare, rarely ever true for some of these radical folks they're there in spite of the party mm-hmm. but people make you like you know that's what institutional parties always tell their caucus members and they and you know anyone affiliated with them you're you're we're the reason you're here you're lucky that you're here and you're here because we let you be here, essentially, and you should be grateful. Yeah, that is that is exactly the attitude. And it does it does question the idea of what merit is. What does merit look like? And why is it that, you know, if you're racialized, you're never merited to be where you are? This idea of merit amongst, you know, for racialized people is is moving the goalposts every two seconds. You, you're a racialized person, you finish high school, you move the goalposts. You go to university, you move the goalposts. You have an advanced degree, you move the goalposts. You get it or not. Or you get the job, you, like the goalposts are again moved. You are still, you are still missing something. There's still something fundamentally wrong with you where you cannot be assessed at the same level as your white peers, your white counterparts. And so, which means that the whole idea of a meritocracy is utter bullshit. And we need to just admit that that's just the way it is and then work from there. Um, So the Toronto Star had a story this week too, which talked about... Um, black women suing the Ontario Public Service alleging systemic racism. And that's one of the things that they they noted. On one hand, they were subject to being questioned as to why they were there. They were um, they were questioned as to their actual merit and that and they were accused of being some sort of affirmative action hire. But at the same time, they're not being judged on any sort of merit. And so um, uh, the two the two women are called uh, Dixon and Nelson, and um, they were consistently subjected to anti-black stereotypes and tropes and called loud and rude and aggressive. Um, And you know, as a result of uh, anti-black racism. And what I see is that you can't, you can't win. Either you're not supposed to be there because you're not worthy, because you have no merit, and you were just there because of your race, or you're there because you are only supposed to be there because you are useful for the party in a tokenist way and there's no winning there is zero 
I'm here because I deserve to be here and look what I've done and, and, and judge me on it. That does not exist for women of color. All right. So follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at bad and bitchy Facebook slash bad and B podcast, Instagram at bad and B pod and uh, email us bad and B pod at gmail.com. Bye. 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 Bye.